Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at Roth consulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Jeff Whelan from Jack Wyland Homes. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Before we get started, I'm going to go through a little bit of the list of upcoming shows. We have some great shows coming up. We have Ryan Reibolt from Infotech, they're a credit card processing company. And then we're going to be having Oscar Jarnicki from the Atlantis and Eastgate Village. The Atlantis is a new rehab center in Eastgate that Oscar and his partner built. Next special Sandler event coming up, I guess, is the uh, cold call camp on November 20th. If you're in a business where you have to call people that you've never met before and you want them to call you back and you want to have a good conversation to figure out whether or not they're a prospect, that's uh, all day, November 20th. You speak to uh, Carmen at 513-753-9400 to sign up for that program. The next session of the Foundations course will also be starting in late November. Okay, Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself how did you get here? It sounds like you're related to the owner. <laughs> I am. It's a family-owned and operated company. My mom and dad started the company in 1966. Prior to that, my, my dad and his father and my mom's father were in uh, in business building apartment buildings and building single-family residences. And when my dad's dad wasn't building houses, he was driving a dump truck and doing other things that he could to keep busy and Decided that uh, at some point they were going to go out on their own and began building houses and on their own in 1966 under Jack H. Whelan Builders. And now today it's uh, my brother and myself, my brother Mike and myself, and then my wife just joined the company. Mm-hmm. And we carry on the family tradition. Okay. Last year, about how many houses did you build? We did 14 houses last year, mm-hmm. total of $4.5 million dollars worth of business and you know we had a very good year we felt like it was a very good year coming from the years prior to that it's been a tough few years for it's, it's, builders it's been a tough eight years eight and years. it's been really really difficult we saw it fall apart in november of 2005 i think other guys were had a lot more going on and they they probably didn't feel it until later in six exactly. maybe six, coming into seven, seven. Yeah. and and it was it was it was pretty difficult so we're thankful that we're here and and glad that we had the uh you know, the work ethic that we're instilled in us to be able to make it through it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you make the decision to join the family company and building? You know, um, I have a I have a degree in, in construction technology, but I also have a degree in animal science specializing in beef production because I have a cattle farm that where I raise cattle on. And, you know, I figured that I was going to be a builder. I wasn't... Uh, Around here, you have a cattle farm. I do, in Blanchester. My wife and I live on a farm, and... 
And I always just had a love for animals, so I knew I wanted to do both. So I went to uh, the Ohio State University Agricultural Technical School, where they had both opportunities to, to learn about both of them and to get an education in both of them. And I figured that I was going to be a builder. I wanted to do both, and which I am doing both, which is nice. But you know, there's there was times where I didn't know if I wanted to necessarily be a builder. It was it was difficult. It was there was other things that more enticing on the other side of the fence, you know. And but I've always I've always been in the building business since I was a little kid. I started working for my dad, and probably more so when when you know he was in he was in charge of Homerama for years and years here in Cincinnati. He was the chairman of the show. And I started working for the show when I think I was in the sixth or seventh grade, I believe it was. And then I'd go to work for him after the show was over, you know, some, okay. and, and then, you know, it just grew from there. So how long have you had the cattle ranch? <laughs> Everybody <laughs> seems to be more in, more intrigued about talking about cows than they do about building houses. But um, my wife and we, we bought it, I guess it's 12 years ago, going on 13. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I was, uh, I worked on a very large farm just outside of Columbus in Johnstown when I was in college. And then and while I was in college, we were also a working school where we had a farm that we had to work on. It was maintained by the state. So I've mm-hmm. been in the cattle business for quite a while, too. So what type of cattle do you have on your farm? We have Angus breeding cattle, and our goal is to improve the quality of the beef through the genetics of the mother and the father. Okay. And how many heads? Anywhere, it varies at different times. Right now, we have right around 30 head, but we've had as many as 72, and it gets a little tight up there at 72. Mm-hmm. But well, how, how, much, how many acres do you have? We have 37 acres. Mm-hmm. Really, and, and we really shouldn't have more than you know. If, if you're if you're grazing all the time, you should have one cow per acre, which is about you know up there. It's about 25 cows by the time you take the house and the woods and things out. But we feed hay, and we have different feed stuffs that we keep them going on. Okay, yeah, That's really interesting. It I, is. I, I thought like you it. were going to say you're, something, you're raising something like Colby beef. No. So you go out there and give them a massage every day. You know, it, 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 there's no different in the uh, cattle business as there is in the house home building business. And the, everybody's got a different spin on things. Now, Colby beef is something different. But you hear people saying, you know, all natural. You hear people saying Angus. You hear people saying all these different words to entice people to buy their product. And some of it's really just smoke and mirrors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you, you, you raise the, the, the beef. What do you sell? The, the we cows? sell the beef. We sell freezer beef. Oh, yeah. We used to sell to a lot of other breeders. You know, we'd mm-hmm. sell cattle, to, um, hoping that we would take the females and sell them to other breeders. But um, it, it becomes a pretty difficult market sometimes to do that. And we've had pretty good luck selling freezer beef here in the last couple of years. So people come to us, or we just put it out there and say we want to. You know, we we have some freezer beef to sell, and they say, all right, we want either a quarter or a half, or we'll take the whole thing and they'll split it up amongst our family and. We sell it by the pound, and then we haul it to the butcher, and they come and pick it up. Oh, okay. What do you like put aside? We 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 usually do some some mass advertising in different areas where Facebook is a good one, uh, neighbors uh, are good, mm-hmm. word of mouth is good, and uh, yeah, there's so many different avenues. If if we really if we really wanted to to focus on it, I guess I I should focus on it a lot more. But you know, you get so many irons in the fire. There's plenty of avenues where people really appreciate buying beef directly from the farmer as opposed to buying whatever they're buying in the grocery store. So you you slaughter a cow and you take the, the carcass to the butcher who cuts it up? Nope. I take the, the live cow to the butcher, yeah. and they they cut it up, and they do the kill. They do it. I don't think I could do that part of it. Okay. When you raise the thing, it would be hard, harder for you. It, it would be harder, but I've, I've, every time I go into the butcher shop, I take a few more steps in the back and learn their process. 
I, I still don't think I could do it. I don't know. So where, where is the butcher shop? Salen's is um, it's at John Salen Meats over on Colerain Avenue. We take all of our beef there. Really? Mm-hmm. You go all the way from the way east to the way west. You know, you you uh, I used to go even further west than that. I used to go out to Saxtetters out in Cedar Grove, Indiana. And and you find people that you're comfortable dealing with, and and you have to find a butcher, you know, for one that, that knows what they're what they're doing. Sure. And sure. um and I think there's maybe one or two up by where we live at, which is in in north of Morrow. But um some of them are six some of them are six months out. Some of them are you know, and that's hard to raise a calf to get to that point. What do you mean six months out? Where you have to schedule the calf to go in to to, to get butchered at least six months out because they they're so busy. Wow. Yeah. So. We've had good luck with Salem's. They do a really good job. They treat the customers really nice. You know, a lot of our people that are buying the beef, they haven't ever ever done this. They haven't. They don't know what kind of cuts they need to make. And, and Salem's is good with going through and saying, you know, here's what most people do with their steaks. Here's how thick they get them cut. Here's what they do with their ground beef. You know, do you want this portion or this portion? They're really nice. Really? That's important to us. So how many pounds of beef is a does a, a, a? You know, we we usually are, we it's a yield is what we look at. And it's a percentage. So um, if we take a calf in there, we usually we usually grade around sixty percent or, or more. So if we take a calf in there that weighs a thousand pounds live, then then there's usually about forty percent carcass and sixty percent beef. So you're going to get about six hundred pounds out of a thousand pound cow, which is pretty good. The average used to be forty nine percent. Wow. So we're doing sixty percent, which is good. Sixty percent sounds good. Yeah. I was just thinking about. What the heck would I do? I don't. That's what everybody do. says. Where am I going to put it all? Where am I going to put it all? And it lasts for a long time because you're in a deep freeze. They do a nice job of paper wrapping it, and and um, if you put it in the deep freeze, it lasts. You know, we, we've had stuff that's been up a year or more. The key to it is is finding friends and, and family to split it up with you. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about the... this taking a different turn. <laughs> you never know what these shows will. That company is called Wheeland Angus Farms, by the way. <laughs> Wheeland Angus Farms. You know, I, I drive through uh, Indian Hill all the time, and uh, there's always a farm there on Spooky Hollow that's got a sign out. It's Green Acres, I think. Green isn't Acres, it? Yeah. yeah. Yep. Do they, do they slaughter their meat right there? You know, I don't know if they do or not. That's a really, really big farm. Yeah. I, I can't tell. I just passed by yeah. the road and they had the sign out. Yeah. It says fresh beef or fresh turkeys or something. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Okay, let's talk about the homes. Uh, you've been associated with the home building business now for most of your life. Correct. Uh, how do you go to market? You know, we do various things. We've had very good luck with our uh, website traffic that comes um, from our website. We uh, have been building. We've been we've been back building in um, Homerama for the last few years, several years, which has been a good drive for us. But ultimately, in a real estate business, location makes everything. Mm-hmm. Um, now, with the way we do things now, it's a little bit different. We're not in neighborhoods all the time. You know, when things fell apart a little bit, uh, we were in nine different neighborhoods where we were consistently building houses in neighborhoods. Um, you know, when when things slowed down, we went back to, to, of course, custom building all over the place. And when I mean custom, we, we there's a difference between off-site and custom. You know, we, we build custom homes where we draw the plans from scratch for people um, exactly to what they want, and then we also do that along with off-site where, you know, we don't necessarily just build in neighborhoods. We travel, you know, all over the city, southwest Ohio, to build houses for people. Well, so it sounds, when you're building all over the area, 
it sounds like you're going to lose a lot of travel time with your construction crews. You you do, but you know I think people realize that the, the people that work for us have worked for us for a long time, and they all are very hardworking blue collar people, and and they're and they're they understand the strength of being flexible and saying you know what I need to make a dollar, I need to do whatever I can to go do that. We'll drive to Amelia, we'll drive to Harrison, we'll drive to Springboro. We'll do whatever we need to, be, to to make the work happen, and that's the way our guys have been the whole time. So it's been really good. It doesn't. I think that if you get into production building when you're in neighborhoods, then there's more of a, a probably a, an advantage for those guys because in, in price wise for those builders because those guys are going right down the line and they're not they're house to house to yeah. house in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's, it's most most of your work now is just one house here, one house there, one house here. Yep, and then we've also had a um, a really good neighborhood. It's called Carriage Hill. It's up in Liberty Township, and that's where the Homerama show was in 2013 here, and it's going to be there again in 2014. We have a model up there, and that's just been an excellent neighborhood for us. It's a lot of traffic. It's a very hot neighborhood, beautiful place to be, and, and we have a lot of luck up there. Good. You mentioned Internet. Let's... Let's talk a little bit more about that. Okay. You guys write your own website? We we do, to, uh, so so to speak. Um, I have a website company that okay. uh, it's called Sound Press Design, and they're excellent. They they they're one of them people where I can say this is what I'm looking for. They kind of know my personality. They know you know our company's personality. They know our history, and they design things. And it kind of comes up, and it looks like the way I want it to look. I'm I'm all excited when I look at it. It gives the right amount of information. And then they're also um, something that I'm not very good with, with computers alone, but Google Analytics, where they they uh, they follow that. They have people that are experts in that in that area, where they make the words on the homepage stand out in a search. And 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 then we also have very good information on our website. Mm-hmm. Do you have any information, kind of in reverse, how many of your buyers actually found you first on uh, the web? We we keep track of that. I don't have that information with me today. Okay. We, we do keep track of that. It's kind of, it's hard to follow because most people do their research on the Internet, but they're not exactly sure if they found you first on the Internet or if they knew of you word of mouth or they saw a sign and then they went to the Internet and then they contacted you. So there may be a little bit of a trail there before they get to the initial contact. Mm-hmm. Good. We're going to take a uh, short commercial break. We're going to hear from Jimmy Fox about... Tip Club, which is an organization that I sponsor here in Cincinnati. We meet the third Thursday of the month. Uh, the next meeting is the third Thursday of November from 7.30 a.m. to 9 a.m. Jimmy? Hi, I'm Jimmy Fox of Tip Club. Tip Club is a professional networking organization whose members help each other succeed. We meet once per month and provide a forum where business-to-business professionals are able to connect with more desirable opportunities and build long-term strategic partnerships. I'm inviting Cincinnati Business Talk listeners to come to our free networking event. You'll have the opportunity to meet new people, share leads and referrals, and grow your business through strategic alliances. Membership in our Cincinnati group is open to only one person per specific trade or occupation. Business-to-business professionals only, please. We do not accept multi-level marketing or recruiting-driven memberships. This is our only group in Cincinnati. We'll meet on the third Thursday of the month from 7.30 to 9 a.m. at Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, 
4357 Ferguson Drive, Cincinnati, Ohio. To reserve a seat, please go to www.tipclub.com and click on the Events tab at the top of the page. Then, just scroll down the list until you come to the Cincinnati event. Or you may call 800-798-0270. That's 1-800-798-0270. Thank you, and we look forward to seeing you at our next networking event. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Jeff Whelan. Uh Jeff, why do people buy homes from uh, Jack Whelan Builders? You know, you're, you're a custom builder. Yes. But there must be more than 20 custom builders here in Cincinnati. I'd say there's a lot more than, than 20. Um, you know, the, the reason I always believe that they, that they buy from is in, in any business that you're in, you have to find your niche. And, and I tell the same story to all of our customers, our potential customers, is that you know we're an we're an old company we're we're a blue collar you know my brother and i and, and my dad um you know we could go out and we could frame the house we can trim it we can paint it we can do all of that stuff and and i'm not sure if that's necessarily the, the case in our industry anymore with everybody that's that's in it it's evolving into something that's more of a business than it is the the construction business and and um i think people have a, a sense of comfort knowing that you know being brought up in the business um with the way we handle things with the way we've been on the job site with my brother being on the job site, you know, that's kind of the way our company's set up where I run the day to day and, and Mike runs the, the job sites for the most part. People feel more comfortable with that. I have a um we both have a, a large amount of knowledge on doing things correctly. You know, when we were kids growing up in this business, you know, we didn't have to worry about getting fired. We had to worry about getting whooped, you know, and yeah. if you did it wrong. So you you have to make sure that it's right. Um and and we have that we have that integrity and we have those philosophies. It's not necessarily the material that you're using. It's the it's it's the the way the, the everything is installed. It's the focus on on the proper techniques. And you know, I believe that that's that's one that's one of the many reasons why I think people buy from us, mm-hmm. or they choose us to build their house. Okay. Uh, have you guys uh, defined the unique marketing advantage that you have? That's probably the the. The majority of our of our marketing advantages is the way we build and, and who we are uh, with the history of the company and, and um, with the history of ourselves in the business. Um, when you know, I don't know if there if there's a unique advantage to to anything. We don't do you know as far as marketing paperwork paper marketing. We don't do any mass advertising or anything like that in order to attract business. Um, we have a salesperson in our model. Um, we haven't had a model for many years, and now we have a model. And so you have one salesperson. We have one salesperson. Not and a family member. Not a family member, and okay. she does a great job. She's in. She works for us seven days a week, you know, and and she, uh, well, so to speak, <laughs> she's got to take some time off, as, as well as myself. You know, we we go and 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 meet with all the customers directly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said something that that, that was interesting. Uh, unique in terms of unique marketing advantage, and I'll just show you on what we did over here at Sandler, because I was part of the marketing technical committee a few years ago. And what we wanted to know about our training was what set us apart from everyone else in the training industry. And 
we hired an advertising agency, a branding agency, and we spent a god awful amount of money. I, I don't want to tell you exactly how much because it's embarrassing. And and the agency came back with they said the only thing that sets Sandler apart, uniquely apart from everybody else in the industry is you're the only guys who do long term positive reinforcement training. Hmm. Uh, which is true. We knew that, but we never attempted to capitalize it. And so we could say long-term positive reinforcement training, and the agency said, no, 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 too many words, too confusing. You've got to simplify it. So for another ungodly amount of money (laughs) and six months' worth of time, they turned long-term positive reinforcement training into finding power in reinforcement. That was about five years ago, and Sandler has, has, has had a tremendous run. Did you get your money back? Uh, <laughs> many times over. Many times over. That's great. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the things they did right. That's good. My opinion, one of the things they did wrong is they hired three PGA golfers to promote our, our services. <laughs> uh, uh, you have to be a golfer to follow it. I didn't, I, I didn't follow that at all. Uh, in your world, uh, you guys have a strategic long-term planning process? We don't as a company, no. Um, and part of the reason for that is because of the last eight years, it, the economy has just has dropped, and you have to be able to adjust on the fly. And any any plans, um, any forecasting, anything that you could have done in the past was blown out the window, in my opinion, the next day. And that everybody, I mean, the National Association of Home Builders put on these seminars and they'd bring in these speakers. And our local Home Builders Association would do the same and all kinds of different groups around the city and in different areas that, that we know of would do, they, they'd say, here's what you need to be doing. Here's what needs to happen. This is where the market's going to go. And and it just disappeared. You know, this is unprecedented times. And, you know, I think things are looking good right now and they feel good right now. For the real estate business, for the building business, yeah. But I don't have any confidence right now that it's back by any means. Um, I think that I would feel more comfortable if I had three years of consistency, and then I'd get a little bit more warm and fuzzy about it. But and then we'd start setting up more plans. But you know, in the last few years, it's been day to day. Yeah, we we tell people you need a six month, a twenty four month plan running every six months that you throw away six months worth of data and reproject. From month 19 through 24, uh, big difference than where it was five years ago. Yep. What do you think the opportunities and possibilities are in home building? The opportunities are always are endless because I believe people will always want houses. They they'll always want to create their own home. Um, that there's plenty of of land to be developed and and creating those areas. There's there's more and more people coming into the market every day. Um, you know, as far as for as far as people wanting to own their own home, and there's plenty of business out there for us. Um, you know, the possibilities for for um, construction in, in general. You know, we create tons and tons and tons of jobs, and I, I can't remember the exact statistics, but at one point in time, every house that was built created you know a thousand jobs or something like that. With the people moving here, with the people, and and that may not be a right figure. It's been several years since I. I had that that data in my hands, but um, with the people that work on the house, with the people who plan the house, with the people who plan on moving into the home, um, the people who use the streets to get there, you know, there's a lot of different things. So it's a two-way street with that. It's not only the people who are buying our houses, but it's also the people who are working on the homes as well. 
What do you think uh, most people are asking you for in the new homes that you're building and designing? Discounts. <laughs> sure, I could use about a hundred thousand dollars <laughs> discount. Okay, it's free money. Um, you, they, you know, some and again, it's it's trends that people go through. Uh, one of the one of the biggest things that we noticed in, in the last several years was you're getting rid of a dining room, and you're creating more living space because people realize you know it was like a living room. You know, if we used to have the house I grew up in had a family room, had a dining room, and had a living room, mm-hmm. and we were only in the dining room maybe twice a year. You were never in the living room because it had a fence on it and had plastic over top of the chairs. And then you lived in the great room. Right. And, and then slowly but surely, the living room went away. Maybe it turned into a den and, or an office. And then we had the dining room left over. And then the dining room slowly started getting integrated into open space where it wasn't a confined room. It was it was leading into the great room, leading into the foyer. It was open more so people could see it more. But again, it was still only being used two to three times a year. And now it becomes where it's, it's disappearing. And, and the reason I say it's being used two to three times a year is because you, how many times do you have all your family over to your house? Usually it's you. maybe you have your family over here one time, and then you go to another person's house for the right, next holiday. Right. Yep. And, and other than that, you're living in a breakfast area or, or in the kitchen. And so now they're slowly becoming getting rid of the dining rooms or you know just making the breakfast in the great room and, and areas like that big enough to support all those people. Uh, the other big thing is is you go into the master bathroom and we're not doing a whole lot of those tubs anymore. We're doing more big showers where the the shower is almost the same square footage as the as the bathroom itself. So that's a big change for it. Almost the same square footage as the the big shower. What the heck of I don't know what they plan on doing in there, <laughs> but it's that, that's more than way more than a two people shower. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's I don't like think I don't think it's intended I don't think it's intended to shower room I don't think it's intended to be used by more than two people but but you know it, it's just I guess it just feels you know it feels better to have that big big shower and I can understand that and having a, a dorm room in college where you could you know barely fit in the little gap that they gave you for for the shower I think it's probably nice to have a little bit of freedom in there uh, are you guys putting in uh, steam rooms too. You know, we we've done a few of them, but basically that would be that would steam shower is what what we we've done, and that is the basically the shower. It's got a steam machine with it, and you just seal off that area. It doesn't have any openings to it, and people really love that. Um, but we haven't done a whole lot of steam rooms. We did a sauna this year in our home Rama house, and people really like that. Now, was the sauna upstairs or in the basement? It was in the basement, and it was a true. Um, Hot rock uh, water sauna, you know, where it was the infrared. It was it was a true sauna. Hmm. What is something I fact add to the cost of a house? You know, it, it's really not that expensive. the The one we did was six feet by six feet, and it was um, I think it's a three person um, is what they call it. And I don't think we paid eight thousand dollars for it, maybe, hmm. which is still a lot of money. But it's not you know it's not what you would think it would be. So did that come to you guys? Knocked down, and you just had to assemble it on site. Yep, they just it it's, it comes to you shipped and flat, and then you you just got to build it up. And, and what could you put that in, on a floor other than the basement? Yeah, you can put it anywhere you want. It actually doesn't even have a floor in it. You you put the you put the floor in it. So if it's in the basement, you just kind of leave the concrete underneath it, and, and they I think they call it duckboard that that you put in there. It's a you know like a slat board, and mm-hmm. you put that right over top of the concrete. Oh, okay. And then you have a drain on the new there. There's no drain or nothing for it. No drain. No, just steam right in that room. Finlandia is the is the company that we used to, to do that, and it was pretty neat. And the other big thing that we that we really are seeing a lot more of 
is outdoor living where people really want that that space to be out back to be outside um to re- relax at home you know get as many as nine to ten months uh out of their rear yard living area maybe an outdoor kitchen mm-hmm. decorative fire pits outdoor living mm-hmm. uh swimming pools not as many swimming pools as you would think most most of the communities where people are living at are they have a, a swimming pool already or if they're somewhere off site where we're building on a lot of acreage they're going to do a swimming pool maybe sometime down the road, but they're they're extending their budget out in several years. Hmm. I, I'm just asking this my my son in law. They they put in outdoor shower. Oh yeah, kids love it. <laughs> I'm sure. Good. We're running out of time on this segment, so uh, we're going to run a couple of Sandler commercials here, and then we'll be right back. Imagine you just left your prospect's office, and he now has your proposal, quote, or estimate. What do you suppose he's going to do with that valuable information that you just gave him for free? Call you tomorrow with an order? Get real! He's shopping it around to the competition. Hi, this is Mike Roth, founder of Roth & Associates. I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. I'm constantly amazed how salespeople operate. They believe a prospect asking for a proposal means the sale is as good as closed. Face it, trained prospects will turn you into an unpaid consultant. For over 20 years, we've been coaching, training, and challenging professionals who are 100% committed to long-term sales growth and profitability, no matter what it takes. If you're deadly serious about increasing sales, call me at 513-646-6523. Find out how Sandler Training can make you better, faster, and stronger, or register now for our next open house, 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw. However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-646. 6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth and Jeff Whelan uh, of Jack Whelan Builders. Uh, Jeff, round numbers, how many people do you have in the company? Uh, as of today, um, there's not that many. I don't have to think about it this long, but I believe there's five. Five, and subcontractors have how many people? Oh, there's probably um, 150 subcontractors, maybe. Okay. So, we have a theory of, of operation in business that complex, that simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Therefore, if you want to solve a complex problem, you have to use a complex solution. Perhaps you could share with our audience a complex problem that you've run into over the years, not necessarily what you ran into yesterday, and the equally complex solution that you use to solve that complex problem. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if I have a... Um an individual example, you know, is as a builder, your your job, and especially as a supervisor, is is to be a problem solver all day long. Um, and there's there's rarely simple solutions to anything, 
you know, I, one thing I know is that whenever a customer puts the word just or, or it's just this or it's just that, it's not no big deal. It's usually more than what anybody can ever imagine. And the problem could be moving a wall and figuring out how to um, treat that and, and, and how to how to get it into the to the plan without everything falling apart. The problem could be uh, lack of subcontractors, you know, with lack of, of labor and figuring out where you're going to find the people to work for you. Um, the problem could be just in general, um, you know, lack of sales and, and creating that, that, uh, that gap, you know, to find out where you're going to get your sales from. So, um, I don't, I don't think I have a, a single in- instance that would be something that I can think of that I just, I, I had to have a, it's every day. I mean, every day seems to be, there's, there's fewer days where everything's just all smooth and easy than there is, um, days where everything's just crazy and, and needing to solve those problems every day. Yeah. In, in an ideal world, Based on your subs and, and your own staff, uh, how many homes under construction would you feel comfortable with maximum? You know, I believe in, in growing with with everything that you do. So, you know, if we had a thousand homes under construction, I would just you know keep growing to get to that point. Now, I don't want to be like that. You know, that would kind of blow our philosophy and what we stand for out of the water. But um, you know, if if we built, and I don't know how many we'd have going on at the same time, but if we built the way we are right now, twenty. 25 houses a year, I would be comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if 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 we had seven or eight of those houses going on at the same time at any given time, you know, there's 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 game changers in there too. You know, if you have 25 200 thousand dollar houses and or 25 um, 1600 square foot ranches, you know that that's a that's a different ball game than it is having having 25 two million dollar houses going on. Because and it's not because it's a price point thing and, and these people get catered to more or anything like that. It's because that that price is that high because there's more things in that house. And the other thing is, is when we have Homerama going on, that takes up a tremendous amount of our time to build that house. It's so much detail, so much focus, so many so many organizing different people that come in there that don't necessarily work on your houses every day. Decorators, landscapers that that have to be brought in from the beginning. Um, so, so you're not going to use the same home from Homerama last year or next year? No. We we build a different house. We we very rarely build the same house over and over again. I mean, we we have our own plans that we work from, but we right. very rarely build the same house over and over again anymore. But um, So is the Homerama house that you're going to build for next year sold before Homerama opens? We're working with some customers right now, and we're in the design phase for it for next year. Okay. So, so you've got three or four that you're working with, so in case... One or two drop no, out. We only have one. You only have yeah. one. Our backup plan is to just not build it. <laughs> <laughs> backup plan. <laughs> but as far as the amount of houses, I mean, you know, you, you what kind of press range you're planning on for that? One? We'll be we'll be a million, probably right around a million dollars. The lot price drives a lot of that. The lots are are um, I think we're paying two. It's, it's quite a bit of money. <laughs> over over two hundred thousand. I think lot. so. Yeah, but it's it's you know if you look at the price of of land in different areas and you look at what some people want for certain lots all all around, you know, we do this research and you get up there and you stand on our Homerama site for next year. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's just a, it's, it's sweet. It's just a beautiful site. It's a big lot um, to build, to be able to build this house on there, but it's just, it's consolidated into this. It's, it's like a nature preserve up there. I get pretty excited about it. I mean, you know, um, I mean, it's like a top of a hill. It's 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 up. It's it's not on top of a hill, but it's you know out, out of the neighborhood. It's one of the highest points in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
it's really really nice up there. But as far as how many houses we have going on, you know, I'm I'm comfortable with you know we I always think we can find a way to do whatever we have, but that's our comfort rate there is with the amount of people that we have right now. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about your role in the company. Okay. You said your brother handles the the on-site supervision of construction. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about your role. Mike runs, he runs the on-site and he runs the schedule. Um, I guess, you know, my role is kind of, of um, I call it running the company. And and uh, what I mean by that is, I mean, I have a hundred different hats that I wear at any given minute. Um, you know, I consider myself the vice president of the company. My brother's also the vice president of the company. We consider ourselves equal in the company. Um, but I do, I, I meet with the customers. I, I talk with them about designing their home, talk with them about uh, the things that they want in their home, um, different flooring, different cabinets. Uh, I deal with subcontractors. I do deal with hiring and, and um, the subcontractors and going through their selections with them to make sure that they have all the paperwork correct. I deal with the payroll. I deal with paying the subcontractors. Um, you know, and then I, I'm on the job site, you know, several times a week, you know, I'm, I, to make sure that my brother and I are on the same page, you know, making sure that we are staying with our schedules the way they need to be and, you know, making sure the houses are built the way I'm, I'm promising these people where the houses are going to be built. You know, that's the important thing. Um, you know, we we have a philosophy and we have a vision, and and I want to make sure that when I'm telling somebody something, that that's what's happening. So I I do all sorts of things, and I I, I like it that way. You know, I I think I would be uh, bored out of my mind if I just had to focus on one little thing every day. What's the best part of your job? Um, <laughs> you know, I I don't know. I, I have a lot of different parts. I think you know, right now is, is the best part of my job is I do I, I jump from one thing to the other, and we're really busy. And and I don't have somebody stand there telling me what to do all the time. I I'm the one that has to, you know, make sure that everything gets done. And and I feel like um, when we're busy and when I'm I'm going nonstop, I feel like I'm getting a lot accomplished. And there's a um, a sense of of success in that for me. Um, you know, the other good part about my job is I get to work with my family every day. You know, I mean that's not necessarily a great. Uh, part of it all the time because family businesses can be difficult. But I, I think about the people that I've known in my life who maybe um, don't have that opportunity to even see their parents on a regular basis. And and with me, I see my brother and I talk to him every day, all day. Um, my mom and dad, I see them almost every day. I see my mom more almost every day. And then and, and my my grandma also lives with my my mom and dad now um, uh, due to the passing of my grandfather last year. And she comes into the office still quite a bit. It, and she's 92 years old. So it, it's kind of, you know, if you, if you really want to get deep and think about it like that, that's kind of nice to be able to see everybody every day. Well, it's a real good family business. It is. It is. But on the other hand, I could some days feel like I could do without seeing them every day. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> I'm sure they feel that way about me, too. <laughs> Let's uh, change the focus a little bit. Uh, how do you ensure quality control when you're building so many homes? Well, my brother is is number one focus on that. You know, doing things the way he knows that we want them done. You know, there there's philosophies that we've had since we were well, since we were younger in this business to make sure that that they're done. And and I think that that you know, the, with with us being on the job, that's the total advantage that we have as far as our quality control over top of many other people who who aren't necessarily the builder that's on the job. Now there's nothing wrong with that. It's just we have a vested interest in our company. You know, we we um we have uh the the people that um we deal with on a regular basis are our, our people and they respect what we do and, and I think we can drive that home. You know, there's so many so many different aspects of this business. 
and and making sure that it's it's um with us you know being my brother and myself being on the job um having our subcontractors that we've had for our long time working with us on a daily basis that's that's um a good bit of the quality control and just understanding that we do things differently than than what you may get away with in in the industry on a daily basis mm. yeah i I've always found quality control to be a a fascinating subject not everyone does it right. You know, it, it it depends on what you consider right. You know, I mean, we 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 have methods that we feel are right, and and they may not be. You know, I think sometimes people think that the building code is right, and I don't necessarily think that the building code is right. I think it's a. I think sometimes the building code is a minimum standard that you have to abide by. I think I think a lot of times that the building code has been changed for the last days of the industry over the many years that we've been in business, and and a lot of times that. The building code will will have to change because people keep doing things. You know, they they keep lightening up. Materials keep getting changed. You know, they get maybe they're using different materials where the the building code constantly has to change to make up for that that shortfall. And and you know, if if you don't have somebody on your job, you don't have the the confidence in yourself as a builder to be um, building these houses the right way. The quality control can really go downhill. Mm-hmm. Uh, just we were talking about quality when you build a house. What kind of uh, Plumbing pipes do you put in? We use a CPVC water line, and we give people the option to use copper, and we use PVC drain lines. Um, and and from the from the street to the house, we use copper. We used to use copper all the time, and and I think that you know I always I always relate this to when we were using the three ply plywood for the roof deck and for the for the um, subfloor. And then we started using the oriented strain board, the OSB board, which is a particle board. Right. And people said, "Oh my God, that stuff is junk!" And it, it, it's you know you're using that because it's cheaper. Well, we're using it because it's cheaper because you know you, you have to find ways to to keep everything within cost. But you know the, the what people didn't realize is the point loads and the, and the structural value of the OSB in in salt according to the standards was stronger than that three ply. So now you're talking about the copper piping. Now people have this perception that copper is just the best. And CPVC may not be so good, and the only reason we're cutting that that down to CPVC is because we're trying to pocket that money we would have in the difference. Well, it it's, it it got expensive, but you know one of the reasons why we quit using copper was because people would come in and they'd rip it out and steal it as soon as you put it in. You know we got to the point where we weren't even finishing things in the basement until the the final, until everything, until we could lock the house up because it was just crazy what people would do to to steal that copper. Um, you know that the, the other thing we would we would we we found it was better in the CPVC that it has a higher pressure rating, but it also has um, less zinc deposits that are in that in that water, and and you don't get the the solder deposits in that water. You know, there's a screen on the bottom of your faucet, and when you if you've ever turned a faucet on and it doesn't have that smooth flow like you see on TV or something, yeah. and it's going everywhere, it's junk in the yeah. Uh, you have to take that screen off and tip it out, and that comes a lot from that solder. That's uh, solder in there. Mm-hmm. And we give the people to go to, uh, we give them the option to go to copper. If you want to go to copper, I'll go to copper, but here's how much it costs. And it's usually about maybe a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks more a house. Mm-hmm. But, but again, it's, it's really not all about the expense of it. It's about the hassle of, you know, because they don't go in and just, when they're going to steal something, they don't go in and take it apart. They yeah, go in and <laughs> they rip it apart and try and just tear the place up. Yeah, that's a problem. Uh, we're going to take a, a short commercial break here and we're going to, uh, Listen to a Sandler rule, rule number five.
Pat Hydrick with Sandler Training, here to talk to you about rule number five, never answer an unasked question. Now, why would anybody want to answer an unasked question? Well, in sales, salespeople can get a little excited. They can be proud of their product knowledge, their industry expertise. And at the wrong moment, they might suggest something that the prospect never brought up, and it can actually kill the deal. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you've done a good job of uncovering the prospect's problems, frustrations, issues, concerns, and you put together a great presentation, and you're nailing every single point, and the prospect's ready to buy from you? And you might find yourself or somebody else on your team says, hey, did we share with you? And then that's the salesperson's biggest nightmare. What you thought was a slam dunk sale, all of a sudden, gets derailed, and for whatever reason, that person does not become a client of yours. So don't forget rule number five, never answer an unasked question. Company owners and sales managers, are you tired of cutting your price to get the deal? Wouldn't you like to have a better way? Wouldn't you want to improve your margins? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 to see if there's a better way for you. This is Mike Roth and Jeff Whelan of Jack Whelan Builders. Jeff, how many years have you actually been in, in the management of the company? Uh, I've been in the in the role that I'm in now for probably eight years, I think, eight or nine years. And then prior to that, I was... Um, partial supervisor, partial in the office doing a lot of different things. Um, you know, I, I, I've always been a person who um, doesn't wait to be promoted or doesn't wait to be um, taught how to do something. I wanted to, I wanted, my dad always used to tell me when I was younger that I wanted to start at the top and work my way down. And, um, and, and so I, I think <laughs> the top and work your way down. Yeah, he was a real confidence builder. And, uh, and, and yeah, we, I, I remember one of the houses I was building and uh, that had to be around the year 2000. And I didn't want to just have somebody hand me the contract and, and say, go dig the hole. And I, I met with a customer, and, and, I, and I think even on the second house I built, I wanted to go to the closing with him and figure out all this stuff that you do. And then in 2000, I met with a customer several times, and I handled a lot of the changes on my own and, and going through a lot of those things, you know, and, and, and that really helped me. And then it just grew from there. Um, you know, the the other part that really helped me um, in, in that situation would, was my, um, my work in the, in the Home Builders Association here in Greater Cincinnati. And that really, that really helps you with leadership skills. It, it helps you dealing with people and, and, you know, helps you do a lot of different things in this business that don't necessarily have to do with building houses. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you can uh, give our listeners a leadership tip. You know, um, I, I've always believed that, that it's lead by example and that, you know, you you want people to see you working hard. You want people to see you sweating. You want people to see and understand because I think that a lot of that stuff means that you have integrity and it means that your heart and what you do. Um, something that we try and teach everybody that's in our company and, and and so everybody's on the same page is that I want everybody to believe in what we do. You know, it's not a sales pitch when you're talking to these customers or telling them the truth. This is what we believe in. This is how we build these houses and this is why we do this. And and if everybody understands that and everybody is on the same page as us, when they start talking about Wheeling Builders, when they start talking about many of the questions you asked me here today, 
people can hear that in their voice and they can see that their heart's in the game and that in itself creates leadership um you know it, it's again going back to the home builders association you had to learn to um you had to learn to to, to push people in directions without threatening them with money without threatening them of job loss you had to you had to motivate them with with pure excitement with pure things that would motivate them without having a, a failure or, or having something um consequence you know and and that's pretty hard to do if you think about it in in business and on a daily basis you know it's hard to motivate people unless you can say here's a couple bucks or you know we're going to give you a, a balloon or something <laughs> like you know you have to you have to be able to motivate people and and I think a lot of that comes from you know wanting them to do to, to see how you're doing lead by example lead you know, by we've example. done about I don't know roughly 160 shows and probably by the 30th show I got smart enough to ask that leadership question <laughs> and it's surprising the number of leaders that have come back with exactly that lead by example be at the front of the pack and uh with your permission we'll make your comments part of the next leadership compilation we do have one show that's out there on leadership that people can go back and listen to where we've cut together the leadership tip of about 30 of our guests. And we're we'll, we'll getting ready to do that. We'll probably do that uh, as a show during Christmas week. Okay. Uh, for the second leadership uh, challenge. Uh, now I'll ask a couple of uh, strange questions here. Not really that strange. <laughs> uh, are there any real changes that you feel you must implement to ensure your company's success? Um, no, I don't. I don't believe so. I I think that again, when when you're talking about this business right now, you have to be able to change every day. And I say no right now, and I might go out to my truck and get a phone call that tells me that you know what well, we have to change this way we're doing things. I, I think you know for me honestly uh, right now the the biggest change that I have to make is is um the amount of people that we have working with with us you know I, I, my wife just started working with us and and that's a that's an excellent um uh, person to come in and help me and, and with things I need to do in the office we just hired another individual who was actually a subcontractor with us for the last 20 years and he now works for us directly training him as a supervisor and and you know when 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 business is good and and you can afford to hire more people then you know that that helps everything. So that's that's huge for our company is to be able to have those people to to make this well-oiled machine run a little bit easier and run a little bit smoother. Mm-hmm. Uh, what areas do you think your company is exceptionally good at, and which areas do you think you might need some help? I think we're we are exceptionally good at building the houses. We're exceptionally good at designing the houses, and and with our team, you know, not not myself and 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 anybody in our company with our team. Um, you know we're great at that, but I'm not sure if um, if our message gets sent. I'm, we're not we're not big marketers. We're not big business people. We're not you know on that sector of it. So you know we're, we know that how we know how to build houses, and we know that that how the numbers work, and, and um, you know to make sure that the costs are are in line, and and that we can make money and be profitable. But as far as running a big business and, and being savvy with those things, I think that's probably my downfall. Mm-hmm. Do you guys employ either an advertising agency or a public relations agency? No, we don't. Do um, all that yourself? We do all that ourselves. And, and uh, Cindy Ritchie is our salesperson, and, and she's in the model all the time. And our goal constantly is to, while we're keeping up with our with our leads from, from Homerama, with the people who come into our our model and and with the people who come in from the internet, uh, our our goal is always I always say, what kind of advertising can we do for free? You know, whether it be social media, 
you know, and find these things. And, and you'd be surprised what you could find. It's really pretty cool stuff. But, um, you know, you can you can do a number of different things without having to spend big budget. I've never understood a marketing budget where if you're going to spend $200,000 in marketing, I, that's a tremendous amount of homes that you have to build just to cover your margin to cover that marketing budget and then still be able to make money on top of that. And that's that's what I mean. I'm probably not savvy enough in the business end of it to be able to figure all that out. Uh, you know, real story. Uh, I came up with the design of this radio show back in 1996. And I went to Clear Channel 550 and said, uh, I'd like to put the uh, show on the air on Saturday or Sunday afternoon at a fixed price every week. And I guess I bought the time three times and they came back to me and said, oh, someone else paid us more for that time. You can have midnight at su- on Sunday, <laughs> which I didn't think was going to be a very favorable time. So in the end, I, I hung up that idea and advertised with them on their radio shows, uh, Jerry Thomas originally, and then uh, extremely effectively with Gordon Liddy, and then lastly with Michael Savage. And I took Savage off the air in 2012. I dusted off this idea, fixed the format a little bit for today's times, and so it's been a wild hit. That's great, you know. And, and Frank, the frankly, it was interesting because when uh, Savage was on, it was like a slot machine rigged to win. <laughs> no, it, it, it was nice. You could drop five thousand dollars in the top end, and fifteen thousand dollars dropped out the other end. That's a that's a good marketing. Program. It was a help. It, it was a great marketing program. <laughs> when they took them off the air, I was really sad. But we put the radio show on the air, and in the first month, the radio show paid for all of the equipment and all of the airtime for the next year. That's great. I said, wow. And this this is a lot more fun than running down the Clear Channel and recording six months' worth of spots. So uh, I have one more question for you. Uh, are you a visionary or a problem solver in business? What's that tell you if I don't know the answer to that question? <laughs> Maybe some of both. I don't know. I think I am some of both. Um, I, I have uh, ideas and goals on where I think this company should be, mm-hmm. and um, and then I also, I, on a daily basis, am, am solving problems every day, all day, and and you know I think that that's more of our our job. You know, I always tell people that that when it comes to building houses, you know anybody can go out there and be a supervisor. I can give my customers a list of subcontractors and suppliers, and you can call them and say, hey, it's your turn to come in and do your job. You know, that's pretty simple. But it's knowing the difference between right and wrong. It's knowing how to build that house, and it's solving those problems. And and nothing is ever as easy as the plumber coming in and running a plumbing pipe, and the heating guy coming in and running the heating and air conditioning ductwork. It just doesn't work like that. You know, it's never. It, it just it, it the framer can't just go out there and, and frame the house because it looked good on a piece of paper because the architect drew it that way. And and there's so many of those different things. So that's there's a lot of problem solving there. But as far as the business is concerned, you know, I, I had to, I had a guy that was working with me a couple of years ago. Who was really big on setting goals, and when and and you know I always kind of thought that's just a lot of jibber jabber. You know I'm not really sure about goal setting and stuff. You know our goal is to be surviving by the end of the day, and, and so if you actually write your goals down, and and then the more you think about it, and you write down everything, everything you know from from you know having a baby to you know making sure that you're going to have you know a hundred million dollars worth of business, whatever, um, it becomes a vision. And then, it, and then it, those things lead into other visions, and it leads into other goals. And it, and when you accomplish a few of those, you realize really how how well you can do. And then you start setting your sights on things further. So you become a visionary. Right, right. We believe strongly here at Sandler in goals, and we call them smart goals: specific, measurable, attainable, 
realistic and time bound. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you put more than three at the top line, most people will set up. And I'll admit this as a younger guy, I, I set up some mutually exclusive goals. When I hit number one, I blocked number three. <laughs> hey, it didn't seem like that. They all seemed like a good idea. I probably put 50 down on a piece of paper about four years ago. Mm-hmm. And even today, I still have that, that list, and I'm still checking them off. So it's not they're not easily obtainable goals, you know. but they're things that, that you have on your radar that you know that you need to accomplish, and it really, really helps. Bucket list, Jack Nicholson. Excellent. <laughs> Just don't mention that to older people. They don't like to call it a bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm trying to think of the name of that Billy Wilder movie. It was done originally in Todd A.O. and Jimmy Durant was in it. It was like a big race to find something. And Jimmy Durant dies at the end. Oh. And he kicks a pail bucket. <laughs> anyway, uh, if someone wants to get a hold of you, Jeff, at uh, Jack Wyland Builders after the show is over. How do they do that? They uh, It's Wheeland Builders, and, and uh, it's okay. That's the biggest mistake in the world is to call us up and say that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can go to uh, wheelandbuilders.com. It's W-I-E-L-A-N-D builders.com. Or you can uh, email my salesperson, or um, which which comes directly to all of us, at cindy at wheelandbuilders, C-I-N-D-Y at wheelandbuilders.com. Or you can call our office at 860-4996. It's area code 513-860-4996. Our website has all of that com- uh, that, that contact information on there. It also has an email contact to uh, send emails directly to Cindy and myself. Mm-hmm. Great. You can uh, visit us at Homerama in 2014 as well. And you can visit us at our model seven days a week in Carriage Hill in Liberty Township. Okay. I guess I haven't been up there. <laughs> you need to come up. It's beautiful. I'll have to get up there. I'll give you a ticket. I have some friends. <laughs> now, that's better better off than I've got for most others. I'm going to be. Get, I want to thank you for being here on the show today. Thanks for having me. And I'm going to be giving you a copy of the one of the newer Sandler books, the 49 Sandler Rules by Dave Matson. Uh, he's the CEO of Sandler Training. Okay. And in that, you're going to have a there's a Sandler training calendar for the rest of the year, and a free training pass to be my guest to come to one of the classes. And there's a million dollars in there that I always give to people. Okay, all right. It's a great business card. People don't throw that one away. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. Good. Thanks again for being with us, Jeff. And uh, Scott, why don't you close out the show? Thanks for listening. This program is the property of Sandler Training by Roth & Associates, Inc. The show may be distributed only with written permission and then only in its entirety. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net. Or call Mike at 513-753-9400.